Welcome to Kindled Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Williams, and this is the show where we talk about truth and grace boldly. I'm so glad you're here. Hello, it's Haley, and this is episode 111 of Kindled. Today I'm talking again with Marsha Montenegro. Last week she shared her testimony and her story with us here on Kindled, so if you have not heard her testimony yet, I would definitely encourage you to go back and listen to that first before listening to this episode. Now, this part of the conversation, I wanted to talk with Marsha about the specifics and the particulars when it came to a New Age worldview and how so much of what we see today in pop culture, really, a lot of it has been borrowed from Eastern religions and from the New Age. So the thing that I was hesitant about was really getting into what I knew would be a hot topic, which is the Enneagram And even at the very end, a little bit yoga, having myself practiced yoga for years. And when I say practice, I don't mean truly, I I guess I just mean gone to yoga classes. I didn't want to get into it because I knew it would be controversial. And I knew there'd be a lot of people who disagree and a lot of people who might dismiss everything that she shared just because they disagreed with those two or three you know, kind of issues. So what I want to say in regards to this before you listen to this conversation is that while you may not agree with everything Marsha shares, I want to encourage you to listen in order to learn. Learn what someone who has spent 20 years of her life immersed in this worldview and movement sees as a threat today. So imagine for a second that you are going to go visit a foreign country and along with you, you are bringing someone who is from that place because you know that they know that place better than you do. They are native. They have grown up there. They've spent years of their life there. They've played there from the time they were a child. And so they have an innate understanding and familiarity with that place that you don't. They know what's safe to eat and what isn't, which berries are edible, which plants you can touch and which ones you can't, where in the city you should travel alone and where would not be safe for you to go. That person understands the terrain. They get it. They just, they're a native. They're they're a local. And that's why you value them as a guide. That's why you want them along for the trip because they know where they're going. So this person has an innate sense about a place that you do not have because you have not spent many years of your life traversing that country and exploring those lands. That's kind of how I feel that we need to listen to this conversation with Marsha. We may not agree with every conclusion she comes to, but she has an innate understanding and knowledge of this space of New Age thought and Eastern mysticism that most everybody listening right now does not have. So when you are questioning the specifics of how she came to her conclusion or whether she's, you know, too extreme in her kind of final findings about a thing, just remember that she spent a large part of her life deeply immersed in this worldview and has come out of it. And this is what she has to share. So anyway, let's just keep that in mind. Now we'll get into this more in the episode, but a lot that we see today in culture finds its origin in Eastern religions like Buddhism and Hinduism. Everything from yoga, mindfulness, meditation, all the way to the Enneagram. Now, it may be shocking or even hard for some of you to hear that, but I just want to encourage you to keep listening. 
Marcia shares not in a spirit of condemnation, but as someone who was truly almost swallowed whole by that movement. And she's been rescued to a saving faith in Jesus. And so her heart is to share what she's learned and come to see as false and dangerous teachings with others who may not know. While I do think Marcia has some incredible wisdom and a ton of information to share here, I don't think we need to be in full agreement with everything someone says in order to learn from them and gain some perspectives that are actually worth considering. So let me just free you to approach this conversation with an open spirit and mind and not one that is looking to see whether you agree with every single thing she says. Okay? All right. I think that's a good preparation for you. So here's my conversation with Marcia Montenegro. I would love to get into a little more talking about the new age. Now you actually right. have a website called Christian answers for the new age.org. And you address a ton of the various beliefs and systems of thought and even current events and kind of culturally relevant things that are coming up today. And you kind of debunk them, I guess, for lack of a better word, or, or expose maybe how mm-hmm. they are actually dangerous. And so I know a lot of people are probably wondering about what's in and what's out because we know a lot of things like you even mentioned mindfulness, like it doesn't Mm -hmm. sound like a bad thing. And and Mm -hmm. I think there's probably a way in which the surface level concept might not be wrong, but when used in the wrong way can be dangerous. Can you kind of talk about some of the new age practices that you see as threats to the Christian church today and that may be infiltrating Christian thought. Yes. And and I want to point out that one thing about these new age deceptions is that they always appear positive. They always appear helpful and beneficial. Mm -hmm. And they often can appear either as sort of Christian or at least compatible with Christianity using even Christian language. And this is why they're so deceptive. And when people aren't aware of the new age concepts that lie behind these practices or these ideas, they can accept them and they can actually benefit from them, at least temporarily, let's say. But in the long run, it is not really beneficial. And that is one reason the new age is so successful. It, it has mainstreamed in the culture. Things are just much more acceptable now that were not acceptable when I was in the New Age. So it's made a big, big invasion in the culture and it has seeped into the church. And I would say the two main areas that this is happening is alternative healing and then what I call contemplative spirituality. And I'll throw mindfulness in there too, which is kind of in its own category, but alternative healing is alternative because it's not scientific. That's why it's called alternative. And when I say alternative healing, I don't mean taking vitamins or drinking chamomile tea. That's, you know, not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the idea of these practices that are based on pseudoscience mm-hmm. and not on science. And there's this, in, in the new age, there's a very strong anti-science bias. There's the idea that science just looks at the surface and doesn't understand the spirituality behind everything because, like I mentioned at the beginning, in the New Age view, everything's a manifestation of the spiritual world. So they see science as just looking at the material world and not understanding the spiritual 
things behind it. But of course, the way the New Agers see that is completely anti-Christian. They're not looking at it in a Christian way. So the things wrong with your body probably have to do with the spiritual body, which is not a Christian concept. The spiritual body, and I'm not talking about your soul or your spirit. In the New Age, the spiritual body is this invisible body that has energy fields in the body and then energy fields outside the body can get very complicated. And usually in the new age view, that has to be treated for you to be well. And so there are all these so-called remedies that are supposed to address this issue. Now this is based on spiritual views and on, and pseudoscience. So a lot of these alternative healers will use scientific terms and that's what sounds so convincing, but they're usually not doctors. There are some medical doctors who are new agers, mm-hmm. unfortunately. There's a few of them. But most of these practitioners are not doctors. They may be chiropractors or they may be natu- naturopaths are not doctors. Mm-hmm. I have a whole post on that. Naturopathy is an ideology. It's not a medical practice and it's not a medical term and it's not accepted as medical in the medical world because it's not. And um, there's actually a woman named Britt Hermes who was a naturopath. She's not a Christian as far as I know, but she has a website and I think a book and she's trying to expose naturopathy for what it is. Because when she realized it was not based on science and it had all this ideology in it, she just, she left it and said, I'm going to expose this for what it is. So anyway, so that's a whole other issue. But What we need to think of and to look at this as the Christian worldview, God created everything, right? So creation is from God. Now it is fallen. And that's an important part because in the new age, nature is divine. It's sacred because it's a manifestation of the spiritual. And they believe that there's spiritual energy in the plants, in the rocks, in the trees, Um, That's why crystals are so big in the new age, because crystals come from the earth. They've been there for a long time. And so the new age person thinks the crystal has concentrated energy from the earth in it, and therefore it can be healing or it can do other things for you. And that's why these crystals supposedly have power. It's based on this view of nature having this the spiritual energy. So they think having everything natural is better because they think it has more potent energy in it. So Mm -hmm. it's not based on science. It's based on a spiritual view. And so even though creation is from God, it, we know that because of man's sin, it's corrupt. It has been corrupted. That's why we have poisonous plants and we have storms and we have tornadoes, etc. You know, I mean, there's mercury and lead in the ground. Right. So natural actually is a term that doesn't exist and it's not really, it doesn't have any standard. <laughs> so, because everything has chemicals, everything has chemicals that can react with your body. So God gave us a real world and he gave us a mind to understand it. And so we are able to determine whether things are beneficial or not based on what we've discovered and what we how we've used our mind and we have advanced quite a bit you know we they used to not even understand that germs cause caused illness you know right 
And then finally, now we understand that. We understand a lot of things we didn't know before. We've made advances, and that's all based on objective data. It's based mm-hmm. on things that can be tested. And that is based on a Christian worldview because mm-hmm. it is based on reality. And so God has given us this reality. It's the, the New Agers that are anti-reality. And so all this alternative stuff is based on their anti-reality view and their spiritualized view of everything. So I try to get that across. It's very hard to get across sometimes. So that's one area. The other area I mentioned is contemplative, which is sort of this mysticism that you go within, you do these practices that are called prayer, but they're not prayer. And you breathe slowly and you have to be still. And then you can maybe hear God. And these are not based on the Bible. This is not how God tells us to learn about him. We have the scriptures. And that is God's revelation to us of who he is, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, who the Holy Spirit is. And so God's word is sufficient for what we need to know spiritually. And that is our authority. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm very strong on that. So I emphasize yeah. that. <laughs> and this contemplative stuff takes you away from that. And it takes right. you into yourself. And what it really does is that it's a way to try to have a spiritual experience. Without God. Without, without God. God. Yeah. And when you have an experience that you think is spiritual and it makes you feel good, you start getting addicted to it. Mm-hmm. And then you don't want to go back to the what we the regular day to day reading God's word and prayer as modeled in scripture. That is one way to grow as a Christian. That's part of the way we grow as Christians. So this this contemplative stuff takes you away. Mindfulness is purely a Buddhist practice. I did mindfulness for twelve years, Haley, mm-hmm. and I can tell you that it alters your worldview. Because the technique of mindfulness is not to relax. The technique of mindfulness is for you first to disassociate from your thoughts so that you see your thoughts as separate from yourself. And then you're supposed to realize if I'm looking at my thoughts, because you watch your thoughts go by and you're supposed to like let them go, um, or you're supposed to notice a thought and then you just, you're supposed to have no judgment on it. So you let it go or a feeling and you let it go. Then you're supposed to realize, well, if I'm looking at my thoughts or my feelings and I'm observing them, how can that be me? Because I'm observing them. So something else is observing them. And this, the eventual goal of this is to realize that this something else is Buddha mind or Buddha nature. Mm-hmm. And in Buddhism, that is all that has existence. Nothing else has true existence. The world, not your individual self, not your brain. <laughs> Right. We transcend the physical reality yes. of nature in the world and you you become one with this higher consciousness or whatever. You have a realization. In Hinduism, they would probably say become one. In Buddhism, okay. they don't even tend to have that concept. It's more like you just have this realization. You, you become, you awaken okay. to the truth. And the goal, of course, is when you do this, then you don't have rebirth anymore because you're no longer attached to this reality hmm. or to the false self. And that's why you don't have rebirth. And then what happens? Well, they even admit that they can't describe what it is. So, you know, nirvana isn't like a Buddhist heaven. Nirvana is a state 
that you reach when you have detached from everything. And nirvana actually means to extinguish. Hmm. So you've extinguished all false realities. And that's what nirvana is. So I have a question because I bet a lot of people listening are like, I had no idea about any of, you know, I hear the word mindfulness and I've seen the articles come across Facebook or whatever about, you know, like you mentioned, they're using it in schools as an alternative to, Mm -hmm. you know, the principal's office or detention or whatever, and it's Mm -hmm. helping kids and blah, blah, blah. I think of mindfulness, you know, when I hear that word before you gave me that definition, I would have kind of associated it with like you said, relaxation, calming down, taking some moments of silence, not necessarily any of the things that you just mentioned or described, because I didn't know about that aspect of it or, or its deeper roots in Buddhist thought. I'm guessing you would say not everyone who believes in concept of mindfulness is even aware that it probably has those roots. Would you agree with that? I would say actually more people know what it is than the than people don't. who teach it. Yeah, and who do it are aware of this Buddhist. Mm -hmm. They will acknowledge that it comes from Buddhism, but then they'll say, but, you know, we're not teaching it as a religion. Mm, And we're not teaching it as, that's not the purpose. We're just teaching it as a way to deal with your practice or a tool. Or with your thoughts. Yeah, as a tool, as a secular tool. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, my contention is that you can't divorce it from its purpose. Because the very techniques that it teaches are designed to bring about that kind of result. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I think also mindfulness may sometimes be altered in the way that it's taught so that it's taught maybe not the way it's supposed to be taught. That's what's hard. You know, you don't know if this person's saying they're doing mindfulness, are they really doing mindfulness? Right, right. I don't know unless they describe it. it. Yeah. Unless they describe it to me, I don't really know if they're just taking a few deep breaths and trying to focus. That's not mindfulness. Right. So, you know, but if they're really doing my, now people doing it, really doing it may not be aware, you know, depending Mm -hmm. on how they learned it and who they learned it from, they may not understand the real Buddha, Buddhist concepts behind it. Mm-hmm. But for example, John Kabat-Zinn, who's really one of the main people who got it started, he studied under a Buddhist Zen master. His teacher was a Buddhist Zen master teacher. And so he is very aware of the spiritual concepts. And in fact, he is a follower of Zen Buddhism, but he tries to present himself as a secular person And there's even an interview with him um, that I once posted on Facebook years ago, where he says, if we change the Eastern terminology, we can sell Buddhism, we can sell mindfulness to the public if we take out the Buddhist references. And see, that's what a lot of the New Age stuff does. It removes the spiritual language and maybe gives it new words. And then it sounds either secular or maybe even Christian. And that's, that's what the new age does. So it's very tricky because the deception on many levels. Right. And then my thought is for what purpose, like, why would they want to do that? Because I think, you know, as a believer, as Christians, we go, okay, we understand that I can't just export Christianity to someone. It has to be an inner transformation that the Mm -hmm. spirit of God does in their heart, which will then Mm -hmm. change how they live. Now, Yes, we could require behavior modification and, you know, following these rules and the Ten Commandments, you know, do not murder, 
Mm -hmm. it's how the American system of justice <laughs> got even built because, you know, they, they were following these biblical ideals. Mm -hmm. Why would they, why do they want to, and when I say they, I guess I mean people who you're saying who actually know what some of these practices are mm -hmm. and want to sell it to the general public or the greater the greater public uh, without mm -hmm. the spiritual element. What's the purpose? Why would they do that? I think a lot of them genuinely believe that this is going to be helpful in the sense that if they understand the real concepts behind this, they think this really is a way for people to become not just more relaxed or they, well, a lot of people think, well, this is really a way to deal with trauma. People who use these methods with like the wounded veterans, wounded warriors, I think it's called. They use a lot of new age stuff in wounded warrior programs, unfortunately. And I think the people who do it really think it's helpful. But I think other people like John Kabat-Zinn in their minds, they see this as a way for people to come to a higher level of consciousness. I don't think they would use that term, mm -hmm. but I think that in their minds, they think this is a way for people to look at things differently. And of course, in their minds, they think that's better. They think it's good if, if we're seeing things in too narrow a way. Uh, we're seeing things on a day-to-day -day prosaic level, get, you know, go through your routine get this done, get that done, get to bed, get up, go to work again, you know, and they think that having this kind of change in your mind and the way you see things is going to open up a whole new level of life for you. Mm -hmm. Now, that's how I think they are thinking. The more hardcore people who are really devoted to Zen Buddhism would see this as a way to become open to the Buddhist worldview. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people who are behind mindfulness and are also Buddhist, that is their goal. Their goal is to get people to start on that path. And because they believe in rebirth, it doesn't have to be done in this lifetime. And that's why the Dalai okay. Lama says things Amazing. like, if you're Methodist, stay Methodist. If you're Catholic, stay Catholic. You know, If you're Baptist, that's fine. You can still do the meditation. Mm -hmm. And he says that because he thinks once you get on that path, then in your next your next rebirth, you'll be more open to it. You'll be further yeah. along. And each time you'll get closer because he thinks eventually everyone will become Buddhist mm -hmm. because that yeah. is the That's only path of liberation. Right. Okay. So it's, it's a yeah. gateway. That makes Yeah. Sense. It's a gateway. Yeah. It's okay. a gateway. It's an opening yeah. uh, for people who really believe in the principles of this. Okay. That makes sense. And the other area is a, is a more current trend in the church that I have known about, actually I knew about the Enneagram when I was in, in the New Age because it was very big in the New Age in the 1980s. Mm. And then, it, and it got into the secular culture a little bit in the 90s where it was used by some companies. I think it kind of faded away. And then for a while, you know, it was kind of just stayed in the New Age until Richard Rohr, Richard Rohr actually wrote a book on it that was published in English around 1990, 1991. Richard Rohr is a Franciscan friar or priest, but his ideas are very heretical. They are not Christian at all, even though he's technically still in the Roman Catholic Church. He was intrigued by the Enneagram and wrote this book way back in 1990. Well, Richard Rohr is a very proactive person. and 
some people in what was called the emergent church, uh, like Rob Bell and oh yeah, Brian McLaren and Tony Jones and some other people like that, Donald Moore, who wrote Blue Like Jazz. These people, somehow, how did Richard Ward get in touch with these people? They got in touch with him, I'm not sure, but they did. And, you know, he became an influence on these people. And these people who were leading very progressive churches, which is now called Progressive Christianity, got latched onto the Enneagram because of Richard Rohr and his teachings about it, because he's a very, he's a very passionate, you know, adherent and teacher of the Enneagram. And so they started presenting the Enneagram at some of their conferences, and they started learning it. Then it went, it seeped into the evangelical church from the progressive church through various people who got hooked on to it. Like, uh, and here's the interesting thing that Christians really should know. The first so-called Christ, real Christian books, now I know Richard Rohr called his book The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective, but as I, I, I don't have time to go into his, his beliefs, but his beliefs are not Christian. So he can't give a Christian perspective on anything at all. But the real first Christian books came out from Zondervan and InterVarsity Press were written by people mentored by Richard Rohr. That's very important to know. Chris Horitz, who wrote The Sacred Enneagram, was mentored by Richard Rohr. And on his website for the book, he thanks, he says, I want to thank those who taught me the Enneagram. And he names Richard Rohr and three New Agers, three New Agers, including Helen Palmer, who was the woman who kind of brought the new uh, the Enneagram into the New Age. She's still alive. You can just check her out on YouTube and see how New Age. She's like 150% New Age. You can't get mm-hmm. more New Age than Helen Palmer. Mm-hmm. So he that's who his teachers are. Now, you can't learn something like the Enneagram from New Agers without getting their ideas because they spiritualize everything. And then the other book, the other big book was The Road Back to You, or is The Road Back to You by Ian Cron. You have Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile. Mm -hmm. Suzanne Stabile was mentored. She and her husband were mentored for years by Richard Rohr. Mm -hmm. And I believe Hurwitz and, and Suzanne Stabile, based on what I know about them and what they've written, that they hold to Richard Rohr's theology, or at least most of it. And Ian Cron is an, a, 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 he has called himself a progressive. He's a progressive Episcopal priest. He did an interview with Beatrice Chestnut. Beatrice Chestnut is a new ager. And in the interview, he talks about perennial wisdom. Well, perennial wisdom is a philosophy called the perennial philosophy, which Richard Rohr advocates and follows. And this philosophy is that all religions, no matter how different they appear, are actually linked to a single source of truth. And so they are all teaching truth. When you get past the externals and get to the inner core of each religion, you will find the same truth. That's what perennialism is. And I believe in Kron must be a perennialist. And I, I suspect Horitz and Stabile are too. This means you cannot be a perennialist and be a Christian. It's Mm. inherently a conflict. You can't be both because a Christian believes one must believe in Christ and that Uh it's only through his sacrifice on the cross to pay the penalty for sins 
that one can have eternal life with God when one believes in Christ. Perennialism does not acknowledge that at all. It doesn't even acknowledge the need for the sacrifice of Christ. And Rohr denies the, the atonement for sins. Right. And I would guess in relation to the gateway, you know, conversation that we were just having before we talked about Enneagram, I would definitely, for anyone listening who, you know, I know there's going to be plenty of you who are like, I'm skeptical about this. I don't know what Mm -hmm. I think about, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I agree with you. Mm -hmm. You can't deny that the Enneagram is a gateway to new age teachings and philosophies. And I myself have actually, I mean, I'm proof of that because I learned about the Enneagram actually through a a conference that my church put on a couple years ago. Hmm. And they haven't brought that up or talked about it in a long time. Um, And I'm not sure if that's because it became more widely known as something that was possibly (laughs) something that is dangerous, the occult, the new age. Yeah. Um, but what what I've noticed is that ever since kind of coming to learn about it, I have heard names and learned about different philosophies that I would have never been exposed to. I started listening to a podcast. This was a few years ago, like I said, the Typology podcast with Ian Cron. And yes, yes. Would, he would talk about Richard Rohr, and I was like, "Oh, who's that? Look him up." You know, and so yeah. it's, that's just kind of how it happens. And so even if you're like, well, I've really benefited and I feel like I really learned about myself in the Enneagram, you also have to admit that there is some truth here that you are all, you are also getting exposed to an entire body of beliefs and systems of thought that you may not be bargaining for and that you may not even realize are getting, are infiltrating. Exactly. That's very true. And the other bad part of it is that there's a lot of untruth told about the Enneagram that it has Christian origins, which it does not, that it's ancient, which it is not. It's from the 20th century. It originated with George Gurdjieff, who was an esoteric, mystic type person Mm -hmm. who explored different belief systems. And in fact, and his Enneagram was not even connected to personality. It was a way for him to diagram the laws of the universe as he saw them. And he played around with it mathematically and put a musical scale on it. And that was taught that way by his pupil, Uspensky. They both died in the, the late, around the late 1940s. But the followers of Gurdjieff continued with his teachings. The idea of the Enneagram fell into the hands of a man named Oscar Ichazo, who was born in 1931. Ichazo ran an occult school in Arica, Chile, called Arica. And he was teaching the Enneagram, but he wasn't even teaching it as personality. He was using it to teach something he called ego fixations, because he believed that we all have a divine, pure essence, a pure self. And this pure self gets covered up in the world through our experiences, our fears, through the way people treat us, through the way we see ourselves. And this all becomes a false self. And so through using the Enneagram ego fixations, you uncover the false self to realize your true essence, your pure self. And that was how he was teaching it. One of his students was Claudio Naranjo, who learned this and other things from Echazo. Then Naranjo started teaching his form of the Enneagram, to which he added 
the personalities. Now, he claims in a video that's on YouTube that was made, I think, in 2010, he says that the way he got the personality types was through his observations, but also mostly, and he uses the word mostly, via automatic writing. Now, automatic writing is allowing yourself to be a channel for a spirit or spirits through writing something down. And it's something I actually tried to do when I was in the new age, but I, I was unable to do it because <laughs> I couldn't really give myself over that fully, I guess, to whatever yeah, I would have Sorry, needed I to guess, get my. I guess you my, weren't good enough for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just I, I couldn't quite surrender myself that far to something unknown. Right. Although I did it in other ways, but not that directly. You really have to do it directly, and then you, the spirit will direct your hand to write things. Well, he claims that was mostly where the types came from. Now, even if that's not true, it came. From the only source for the Enneotypes or the Enneagram types, he calls them Enneotypes, is this man, Naranjo, who was a New Age spiritual seeker and whose main interest as a psychiatrist was the use of hallucinogenic drugs to go into altered states of consciousness. Now, this was his big thing. And there's I just posted a video on my Facebook pages of him talking about doing drugs, the spiritual trips he had, and his meeting with Oscar Chazo. And he says in this interview he gives, which is on a New Age channel called Conscious TV, and this man who's interviewing him is asking the questions, and Naranjo says he realized Chazo was a liar and a trickster. And he even told Chazo that. And he said his reaction was to smile. And he said, because of that reaction, I decided to have him as a teacher. Because see, in the new age, see, a lot of Christians are going, what? Why would you want a liar or a trickster as a teacher? <laughs> what? what is wrong? Well, I can tell you as a former new ager, this makes a lot of sense. Because a new ager could see this as this man is so beyond the normal realm of our, our categories of right and wrong. He's gone beyond that. And he can use lies and tricks because he's at this level where he sees the spiritual benefits for people by tricking them and lying to them. Hmm. That's exactly how a new ager would see it. Wow. And in fact, a lot of gurus teach that way. Yeah. They teach, I will show you, I'm a mirror for you. So if I'm lying to you or whatever, then you'll see yourself and you'll realize what reality is or whatever. This is actually a method of a guru. And so Naranjo understood that because he had the new he had he had the new age worldview and he took on Ichazo as a teacher. And this says a lot about his thinking, right? And I totally understand it having been in the new age for so long. And so this is where the Enneagram comes from. When you're looking at your types and you're reading about your types and your wings, it's all stemmed from this man, Naranjo, and partly, you know, some of it filtered from Ichazo and that's it. And then it got to got into the new age. Then it had things added onto it, but the things that were added onto it were all added onto it by new agers like Helen Palmer and mm -hmm. David Daniels and Beatrice Chestnut, these people that Christians are referring to. And I have to tell you something that's incredible because I just wish I had a platform where I could speak to every Christian in the country. <laughs> I don't have that platform, but I'm going to use what I have. Yeah. The fourth 
book from IVP on the Enneagram. It's called Spiritual Rhythms, I think, of the Enneagram. They have a section called Gratitudes, where they are thanking people who have brought the Enneagram to us. First of all, they thank two people that had nothing to do with the Enneagram, Evagris Ponticus, a 4th century monk, and Roman Lull, a 13th century Roman Catholic monk, they had nothing to do with the Enneagram. That's part of the lies, the falsehoods that are told about the Enneagram. That's been debunked. There's no historical evidence for that. They thank them. They thank Richard Rohr. And then they thank 13 New Agers. Mm. I never thought when I was came out of the New Age that I would see a Christian book thanking New Agers for something. Mm-hmm. Like, the, you know, like here's a tool we're introducing to the Christian church through our publication of this book. And we're thanking 13 new agers for it. Well, in a way they're correct because it is the new agers who you have to thank. Right. (laughs) But the thing is, that's not a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, there is a book. I have several articles in the Enneagram on my website. I have four articles and I have, Oh, I, I don't know. I've lost count. I'm thinking I must have about 150 or 200 posts on the Enneagram because I started warning about it in 2013 or 2014, but my first article on my website was written in 2011 when I first became aware of it in the progressive church. So I've have all these posts, but there is a book coming out that will compile all this information together. And it's not even a, it's not even a long book and it has eight chapters in it. It's by myself and by Don and Joy Vino. V-E-I-N-O-T. They run um, Midwest Christian Outreach, which is a ministry they've been doing for, I think, at least 30 years. They've been in ministry a long time to cults, to also addressing things in the New Age and other areas of discernment. And they are very, very knowledgeable. Don has dedicated his life to the Lord doing this. So uh, anyway. Yeah, we'll link that in the show notes too. Yes, and that's that's called Richard Rohr, the, um, and the Enneagram Secret is the name of the book. So, okay. I don't know about you, but I have found that growing in our relationship with the Lord can be confusing sometimes. Man-made rules and expectations abound, making it all rather overwhelming. Add to that our daily ongoing struggle with sin and our seeming inability to overcome it, and growing in sanctification can begin to feel a bit hopeless. That is why authors Rebecca Hargraves, Kayla Nelson, Kathy Schwenk, Lauren Jane Bellows, and Amber Durgan joined forces to write a book just for you. A book entitled Walk by the Spirit, What It Looks Like to Live the Spirit-Filled Life. As Galatians 5.16 tells us, walking by the Spirit truly is the key to resisting the flesh. In this book, you will learn about the tools of walking by the Spirit, tools like Bible study, prayer, and receiving wise counsel from your Christian community. You'll also learn how you can practically apply the practice of walking by the Spirit to each area of your life. With chapters on relationships and marriage, motherhood, work, ministry, hard times, and mental illness. To find out more, head to spiritfilledwomanmag.com slash shop. So I have a question. And yes, like I said, I will definitely link that and um, that'll be available for pre-order now, I believe. Right, right. Uh, by right. the time this is airing. So right. if people want to learn more about that, they can check out the show notes on kindledpodcast.com or find you and your website at christiananswersforthenewage.org. 
Right. Plus, I will post this on um, you know, Facebook, of course. Yes. First, probably. I have another question for you about the Enneagram, if you have time. Yes, sure. Okay. So what do you make of the fact that the personality types seem very accurate? They, mm-hmm. they seem, they, they actually, you know, they really, I, I identify with some of them. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, it makes sense. I'm like, oh yeah, that is like me. I am this achiever, this driven, you know, mm-hmm. oh wow, that is my weakness. Oh, how, wow. It's, it's like, I've heard the saying, the Enneagram doesn't put you in a box. It shows you the box you're in and, and then shows you how to get out. I know you would categorically disagree with that at, or, or, you know, say, well, that's, that isn't the, the answer that the Bible gives us. And I would agree with you there. Right. I'm curious though about like, what do you make of the fact that it does seem to kind of accurately represent some of our struggles uh, with interpersonal relationships? Sure. Yes. There's actually a couple of answers to that, Haley. And that is one of the big things people will say. They'll say, well, but then why does it work? Or why do I fit my number seven or whatever? First of all, let me say as a former astrologer that people who identify with their zodiac sign will say the exact same thing. Yeah. They'll say, I can't believe I'm such a Gemini. It so Mm -hmm. fits me. I do this. I do that. When that happens, I think that or they, if they know a little bit more about their chart, then they'll say that's so much like me because my rising sign is Sagittarius. Hmm. And, you know, I used to say this a lot because yeah. my rising sign was Sagittarius. So I'm like, oh, that so fits my Sagittarius running, rising sign because I really do seek adventure and I'm an adventure, mm-hmm. you know, I like new adventures and new experiences, et cetera. And I felt like my chart fit me to a T. I felt like nothing could have captured me more accurately. Mm-hmm. And the reason that happens is because, first of all, both astrology and the Enneagram in terms of personality describe traits that we all share to some degree. Right. We mm-hmm. all have some of all of the traits. And when we think we have found ourselves in one particular section of it, we identify with the parts that really resonate with us, partly because we want to, because we want to fit in a category. It's a human thing. And then we start seeing things through that particular number or zodiac sign or whatever, and we start filtering through it and everything seems to fit. And we we tend to be very selective and the things that don't fit, we explain another way. Or now with like the Enneagram, now it's not just your number, but then you have a wing. So then you can explain it with a wing or, you know, maybe your conflict with that number or whatever. And you, it's a, a trick that your mind plays. And there's actually psychological explanations for this. I'm not an expert on this, but there is an article by a Christian psychologist named J. Medenwalt, M-E-D-E-N-W-A-L-T or W-A-L-T-D. If you put his name in followed by Enneagram, he has a two-part article. The first part just shows why the Enneagram is not scientific, just based on how it's used to supposedly show personality. The second part explains why people think the Enneagram fits them, why they fit into their Enneagram number. There's like 12 different factors that explain this. So it's it's a lot more complex than I I don't even know all 12 by heart, of course. But there's certain things that the mind does. uh, And one of the things he points out is that we are really terrible 
assessors of ourselves. We often do not see ourselves realistically at all. Mm -hmm. We see ourselves the way we want to see ourselves for whatever reason. And I mean, I know I'm guilty of this. And when sometimes it's pointed out to us by somebody else in a very unpleasant way. Right, right. <laughs> and we're like, they're like, well, you always do that. And I'm like, no, no, I would never do that. Oh, heavens, mm-hmm. that's terrible. And then you think about it and you're like, they're like, well, yeah, but look what you did last week. And then remember when you said this two months ago to so-and-so, and then you're yeah. thinking, oh my gosh, I really do that. You yeah. know, yeah. it's kind of brutal yeah. awakening, but we often do not see the real truth about ourselves. So we will interpret it. And even if we see a so-called weakness and say, oh yeah, that's my weakness. It's a weakness we can admit. So we're great at self-deception. This is not the way to see ourselves. This is a totally false tool that will lead you to false conclusions about who you are, but it will be mixed with some truth. Right. Like every effective lie, you know? Yes. Every effective lie has some truth in it. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with astrology. And I'm still asked by Christians who maybe got into astrology out of curiosity, or maybe were into it before they were Christians. I'm still asked by them, well, why is it? that my zodiac sign fits me. Yeah. Still ask that question. And, you know, and I think the main thing to remember here is that besides the fact we can be deceived and deceive ourselves is that if there's something that is false an experience with it does not make it true. Hmm. And so we, the fact we have an experience where we think, yes, I really am a number four that really fits me. Yet over here, we see that it's false. We see where it comes from. We see that it's actually a new age tool. Mm -hmm. We have to put our experience aside and accept the objective truth. And that's very hard to do. But in the new age, here's where the Enneagram is really succeeding. It is succeeding in convincing Christians to take experience over truth. There you go. That is... That is a new age principle. And I am seeing that happening And so it's not even so much that a Christian might identify as their Enneagram number Mm -hmm. as it is that they're going to take experience over objective truth. And that, that will lead to more deception. That is so powerful what you just said right there. And I hope everybody listening had your ears open because I am, you know, admittedly one of those people that is just very new to this idea that the Enneagram was actually based in the occult. I, this is all kind of new information for me. And I've started, you know, obviously listening to you and, and, and learning about it and trying to read and be like, wow, really? Like, I just, I had no idea. It seems so accurate. It seems so innocent. You know, what's the big mm-hmm. deal? Couldn't I mm-hmm. engage with it in, in a Christian way and understand that, you know, all these things that, that we hear people saying, isn't there, isn't there a way to redeem it? Isn't there Mm-hmm. whatever. And I think that there could be some legitimate ar- arguments on both sides. Now, I tend to agree with you in the fact that because it has this root, that it's just not, it's not worth the risk. But I, I think there could even be someone who's like a Christian who makes this argument that like, yeah, you know, I choose to use it this way. And that's fine. I wouldn't like kick them out of heaven for that. But what no, I would what no. I would say is that you just hit the nail on the head that it is teaching us to value experiences over truth and to elevate experiences over what we know to be absolutely true, which is the word of God mm-hmm. and how he has provided for us to, you know, become more like him and not mm-hmm. become more like our true selves or our right to, to shed this false self that somehow our wounding in childhood affected us and blah, blah, blah. And like, 
there's probably some truth to that. But is that the fundamental thing we should be concerned with is the question. And, and is that right. how we're going to go about seeking healing or wholeness or being known and loved by, you know, by shedding that false self or whatever, that is the risk. And while the listener, you and I, or you and Marsha may disagree on the particulars about whether or not the, the Enneagram has any helpfulness or usefulness, what you most, I think, need to take away from this and hear is the dangers of allowing anything that is experiential to become weightier than the truth of God's word and what he has given yes. us. Yes. And, and it's true. You know, we're being conformed as Christians to the image of Christ and God gives us the truths of what that means and how to live. I mean, the letters to the churches were included warnings of false teachings. Plus here's how you are to behave. Here's how you deal with, you know, a conflict with another person. Don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't let anger continue so that you become bitter. There's guidelines in the scriptures in the New Testament for Christians as to how we live our life. And of course, Jesus is the perfect model of living the life that's in conformity with the image of God. And and that's, I mean, he is, of course, God. And so being conformed to the image of Christ is our goal. And that Mm -hmm. is what the Holy Spirit is as we yield to him, he shapes us the way God wants us shaped. And all these other things take away from that. God does not redeem everything. He does not, for example, he does not redeem astrology or yeah. palm reading or tarot card reading. Right. <laughs> so and there like, are some things that are just, they're not from God and they're not right. based on truth and they are not redeemable. And that's, that's something that I, I don't understand. And perhaps it is because perhaps you can help us understand this, but like, I think most Christians are aware I shouldn't read my horoscope because it's just, you're dabbling in something that is not true and is not of God and is not helpful. And it mm-hmm. is going to lead you down a, a bad path. And, and you might open up the newspaper one day and see, Oh, look at the reading for Taurus today. Wow. Oh my gosh. That actually did happen to me. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. It's accurate. What? Mm-hmm. Maybe I should mm-hmm. actually start looking into this, but mm-hmm. most Christians are aware that the horoscope is false and dangerous and, and they stay away from it. But what is the difference between the Enneagram and the horoscope besides the fact that one uses names of star formations and one Mm -hmm. uses numbers? What's the difference? Yeah, I actually don't think there is a difference. Enneagram and astrology have so many parallels. They both started off without any reference to personality. Now, now astrology is is actually ancient, whereas the Enneagram isn't. But for a long time, it was just it was a way that the astrologers gave advice to the rulers about things like you watch out because an enemy is going to come and attack, you know, or it's a good time for the kingdom to expand or whatever. And it was this general advice, almost more like reading omens. It It didn't have anything to do with personality. The personality was added to it. And and even when the Greeks got hold of astrology and our form of astrology, the like using Aries, Taurus, Gemini, all came from the Roman names of the Greek astrology terms. So the Greek astrology then became Roman astrology and, and Latin was used and that's what we mostly use. But even when they used it, and they're the ones who first started astrology for individuals, 
it was more about fate, your fate. This child has a fate. Rich Greeks had people read their their child's chart. You know, your fate, the fate of this child will be a war or or this child will marry into wealth or this child will have ruin and poverty. You know, it was more like this prediction thing. It wasn't a personality thing. It became personality oriented with the advent of psychology in the late 1800s. And that's when the first astrologer, there was one astrologer who started doing this like around, I think around the turn of the, of the 20th century. And he started adding a personality significance to the, to the chart and to the 12 zodiac signs. The ancient meanings of the planets were still part of it, but then they just added personality to it. And then it started in the early 20th century becoming more of a personality reading rather than a fatalistic reading of your future. It was kind of both. And then it gradually became more and more psychological. And especially like in the 1960s with transpersonal psychology uh, kind of came out of the box. And that was used by a lot of astrologers. And the other big influence on astrology was Carl Jung, Jungian astrology. So I learned a lot about Carl Jung's philosophy because I used it in my astrological readings for people. And so the psychology and the personality stuff all got added on to the astrology chart, just as it was added on to the Enneagram. Except in the case of the Enneagram, it was mainly through one person instead of a lot of different people. (laughs) It was one one person, Claudio Naranjo, and a little bit, he probably used some of the ideas of of Vichazzo there. And so it's really very, very similar. The parallels are amazing to me. And I've actually heard some Christians, when I mentioned to my dentist something about the Enneagram in this book that was coming out. He said, oh, yeah, he had a relative who was into it. And he said, when the relative told me about it, he said, my first reaction was, that's like a Christian Zodiac. Oh, wow. And I said, I said, I've heard other people say that, and you are correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like the Christian Zodiac. Yeah. And um, there's very, except the fact that it doesn't pertain to the natural heavenly bodies, it pertains to these categories of numbers. It's very similar the way that they developed, similar in the sense that the personality stuff was added on later and not with any validity. I mean, just because psychology has some validity about personality and that was added to the astrology chart, that doesn't make astrology valid. Yeah. And I think it's, it's just so interesting how, you know, stuff like this that starts out secular and then kind of, like you said, just gets added to over time by individuals or groups or, you know, systems of thought gets adopted into, you know, the broader church. And, and it, it could be something as simple as that book that was published, the 13 new agers. And suddenly we've inducted a very secular and worldly ideal into and made it part of a Christian tradition and made it acceptable to kind of bring into the our churches or our Bible studies or whatever, mm-hmm. or our Instagram feeds. And I, I don't think that everyone who's doing it is doing it out of this ill intent. And I don't think oh, that everyone, no, I don't, no. I think most people actually have no idea that there could be this kind of connection and that there would be right. anything dangerous at all. 
So I just want to be clear that this isn't a condemnation of those No, no, not at all. No, I want people to know the facts. That's my passion is in my ministry has always been to expose something false and show people the real facts from, you know, a a biblical point of view. And and let's assess this biblically as to whether this is good or bad. Okay, let's unmask it for what it is. And now let's see, does this have any validity or any truth to it or any good to it. And so that's always been my passion. Um, You know, I've I've dealt with other things this way, like feng shui, which seemed like a decorating technique, and it actually Mm -hmm. isn't. And um, Reiki, which people think is some kind of healing thing, and it's actually energy healing, which is really more like sorcery. And other areas like that, I've always been like, no, no, people need to know. (laughs) People need to know the truth. And so I've done a lot of speaking in my ministry and, and, and actually have spoken in, in 30 states and uh, I get questions from people and that's how I, I know what's on people's minds and I know they're hear these things and they're wondering about them and they don't have the information. Yeah. So my thing is let's, let me look into this and find out. I think it's helpful, you know, just to kind of put a bow on this, even though I know I could talk to you for hours about it is (laughs) this idea that like, the thing is never about the thing. (laughs) The Enneagram, you know, the the concerns that you're putting forward and and bringing to light regarding the Enneagram are not primarily about the Enneagram. They're primarily, I, I think they point to that, look, what this is actually doing, what the biggest risk here is not that you identify as a three or a four, or not that you learn a little bit more about your personality or how you relate to your husband. It is that you would start to elevate your experiences over truth. And that by doing that, then really the enemy can much more easily feed you the poison or or feed you the thing that is ultimately going to destroy your faith. Now, the Enneagram is probably not going to destroy your faith, but whatever's coming next might. And that's kind of my feeling is that, you know, the the thing is never about the thing. It's always about something bigger and and more dangerous and more risky. And so I just think if you're going to read anything about the Enneagram, please keep it on this very like high surface level. And I, and please read her book, read, read Marsha's book. And I'm planning to read it too. And I really appreciate you sharing so much of, you know, your knowledge. And, and I, I just think that you're the one who spent eight years of your life in the new age and the occult. You're the oh, one I spent, who... I spent, yeah, I spent 20 years, 20 years. Age. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was a, a, a professional astrologer for right. eight years. Oh, okay. That's I was years. in the new age for 20, really more than 20 years. And, and, and like, yeah. I, I think you're probably just so much more sensitive to the realities of some of these things because you mm-hmm. really came out of it and you're like, mm-hmm people like, you know, (laughs) I've been there. Like, look, listen to me. Listen, don't go there. Don't risk. Don't dabble in darkness and call it light, you know? Right. Right. And it's so, you know, I want to, I try to emphasize the subtlety of it because it wouldn't be deceptive if it was obvious, you know, the reason it's deceptive is that because it's not obvious and it can change the way you're thinking and seeing things without you realizing it. And that's, you know, to me, the biggest danger of these kind of things. It just alters your thinking. And, you know, I've already seen that in some Christians who Mm -hmm. I've given the facts to them about the Enneagram and or maybe even something else. And I've given them the facts and I've told them and I give them resources and they still say, well, 
you know, I don't care about that. You know, I just want to keep on doing X, Y, Z, or I think X, Y, Z helps me. So I don't care if it's not valid. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, do you realize what you're saying? You know, you're saying, you're saying I put my experience and my belief that it helps me above any facts. Yeah. Any truth. I don't care. I just don't want to hear it anymore. You know, I'm going to just go into my little mindset and I'm going to stay there. And that's what Satan wants. He wants that because like you said, and I thought this myself, Haley, if something like the Enneagram gets in like this so fast and so quickly, what is the next thing? Yeah. What will the next thing will be worse? But people, if they're willing not to see something like this, then maybe they're willing to see something else, you yeah. know, or if they're not willing to see the truth about this, maybe they're, they'll be, and they're willing to t- accept these ideas. And some of them are just patently false. Like the Enneagram right. Christian origins is just not true. Right. What's the next thing that's going to come down the line. Yeah. Then people will be more ready. And in fact, you know, Ian Cron said in this interview with Beatrice Chestnut, she asked him about why a book on the Enneagram and he was giving an answer. And one of the things he said was, the church is more porous. He used the word porous, P-O-R-O-U-S, a uh-huh. very good word. He said, I think the church is more porous now and open to wisdom from other traditions. Mm. And yeah. that is a very telling yeah. insight. Well, he's, right. he's right. He's, he's right. right. Yeah. His insight is correct. And it's very telling. Of course, he thinks that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly kind of the bottom line of it. Right. It is. Yeah. Like, and you hear that all the time, like the wisdom of this tradition or the wisdom of that tradition. And we can kind of take, we can cobble together a worldview and a Christianity that is all our own. And we can deconstruct traditional Orthodox Christianity and rebuild it to be whatever we want it to be. And it can have, you know, a little 5% Buddhism, a little 10% uh, Zen, yeah, uh, whatever, you know, just add here and there. We want a little Catholicism. We like the traditions and we're just going to cobble together our own, our own version of Christianity. But the Bible exactly. doesn't speak about wisdom as something that can just be pulled from the universe any place you want. It actually yeah. says like, my son, like ask for wisdom and you shall be given it, which means it's something that God provides it's something that comes from him it's not right that comes from us yes and god you know tells us wisdom is the beginning the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom because it's and that and of course fear there doesn't mean to be afraid of god it means to reverence him it means to be in awe of who he is of his majesty and that is that phrase the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom is in several places in the Old Testament, it's, it's in the Psalms and it's in other places. And it's a very true statement. And I always say, let's go back to the attributes of God, who God is. And we measure everything up to that. And I think knowing the attributes of God, his righteousness, he's mercy, he's truth, you know, he's love, he has wrath on sin. When you understand and really focus on the attributes of God and filter everything through that, it really sheds light on what you're looking at. It really helps put things in perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I think that's a great place to end our conversation. I didn't even get to ask you about yoga, which was another question. Oh yes, that was a big one. I have been talking about yoga since the 1990s. (laughs) 
I have five articles on it. I, and that has been my number one question. If I had to pick, what is your number one question over the years? It would be, what do you think about yoga? Yeah. Yeah. That's my number one question. So I can, I can actually, yes, discuss that for a little while. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you can. Thank you so much for spending time today with us and, um, and remind us where people can can find more out uh, about you and your work. Okay, sure. Yes, my website is christiananswersforthenewage.org. And then I'm also on Facebook and where I put all of my posts on the New Age and the Occult is on my ministry Facebook page, which is also called Christian Answers for the New Age. It's the only Facebook page with that name. So if you're on Facebook, you can just put that in the search box. And actually, people who are not on Facebook have told me they can see my posts because I make that page as a public page. And I believe people not on Facebook can even see it. But I know a lot of people listening may be on Facebook. So you just find it. And then if you follow it, you know, then hopefully you can you can see the posts. Okay. Yeah, those are the two main areas right now. I do have a book, but it's it's called Spellbound, the um, Paranormal Seduction of Today's Kids that came out in 2006 from David C. Cook. And it's about the occult and our culture and how it's marketed to children. So it's oriented very much towards parents. But unfortunately, the hard copies now from sellers are like $45. I don't, I don't know what happened. They used to be like, eight, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars and now they're like all of a sudden they jump. Now it may have changed, you know, I don't okay. understand the marketing. Yeah. But I you can get it on Kindle, you know, for or an ebook for nine ninety nine. So just for okay. people who want that to know about that area. Great. Yeah, thank you so much. I know this sure. has been so helpful for me and I know so many listening. So I really appreciate you spending some time with us. Well thank you, Haley. I really enjoyed it and um you brought out a lot of really good points. So yeah. I, I appreciate that very much. Thanks. Well, same to you. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to that episode. Come back next week as I'll have another great conversation for you. In the meantime, if you want to ask questions or chat more about this particular episode, come find me on Instagram at hayleywilliams.kindle. You can leave a review for the podcast as well in the podcast app. That always helps the show get found by more women who want to hear grace and truth boldly. Thank you guys so much. Talk to you next week.